0: Going to hear a lot from others who have a perspective on what I want to share with you today you 're going to get uh, the voice of other christian leaders you 're going to hear the voice of the writers of the scripture and a little bit of my voice in this whole process Now, let me tell you that the this the passage that Gail read for us earlier this morning is not actually my text because i 'm going to be all over the place with scripture today, and you might need to write fast and but Here's why I selected that passage of Scripture to begin with. I want you to take a look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and I want you to notice something in there. I want you to notice how many times you see the word together. Now, if you're looking in the, I don't know, I'm reading from the NIV. It might be different in some other versions, but in the NIV I see together mentioned more than once. I see it mentioned, the word together used three times. And what we're seeing here in this passage of Scripture is a description of what God was doing in the early church after the Holy Spirit had come. And incredible things were taking place. (coughs) And so you find out that the people then of the early church were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then if you jump down to verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Alright? And it tells you about some other pretty incredible things they did. They were selling their possessions and goods and gave to anyone who, who had need. And they, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and as, as the holy spirit was working through them it says that God added to them their number daily those who were being saved together 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 so i think they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching together and to the fellowship together and to breaking of the bread together and to prayer together Thank you, Sister Sieber. <laughs> powerful, and I, I want to focus on one aspect of that today. They were together praying. Powerful, powerful things happen when the church prays together. I want to, I want to read, and this is a fairly lengthy passage from Jim Cymbala's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And he's talking about him speaking to his congregation. And I quote, I said, this is Jim, Jim Cymbala speaking, I said, brothers and sisters, I really feel I've heard from God about the future of our church. While I was away, apparently he'd been on vacation, I was calling out to God to help us, to help me understand what he wants most from us. And I believe I've heard the answer. That's always kind of nice when you believe you've heard the answer from God, isn't it? It's not fancy or profound or spectacular. But I want to say to you today, with all the seriousness I can muster, from this day on, the prayer meeting will be the barometer of our church. What happens on Tuesday night, which is the night they prayed together, will be the gauge by which we will judge the success or failure... Because this will be the measure by which God blesses us. Our times in prayer together. If we call upon the Lord, He has promised in His Word to answer. To bring the unsaved to Himself. To pour out His Spirit among us. If we don't call upon the Lord, He has promised nothing. Nothing at all. It's as simple as that. No matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our, to believe in our heads, the future will depend upon our times in prayer. This is the engine that will drive the church. Good preaching, Jim. Yes, I want you to keep coming on Sundays, but Tuesday night is what it's really all about. His wife, Carol, Carol and I have set our course and we hope you'll come along with us. And he goes on to say, a minister from Australia, or perhaps it was New Zealand, happened to be present that morning. A rare occurrence. I introduced him and invited him to say a few words. He walked to the front and made just one comment. He said, I heard what your pastor said. Here's something to think about. You can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the pastor or evangelist is by who, by who comes on Sunday night. Hmm. You can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meetings. Then he quotes from uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon: "The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer?" And from it, we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. So, Symbola goes on to say, What does it say about our churches today that God birthed the church in a prayer meeting, and prayer meetings today are almost extinct? Am I the only one who gets embarrassed when religious leaders in America talk about having prayer in public schools? We don't even have that much prayer in many of our churches. Out of humility, you would think we would keep quiet on that particular subject until we practice what we preach in our own congregations. I am sure that the Roman emperors didn't have prayer to God in their schools. But then the early Christians didn't seem to care what Caligula or Claudius or Nero did. How could an emperor stop God? How, in fact, could the demons of hell make headway when God's people prayed and called upon His name? Impossible! In the New Testament, we don't see Peter or John wringing their hands and saying, Oh, what are we going to do? Caligula is bisexual. He wants to appoint his horse to the Roman Senate. What a terrible model of leadership. How are we going to respond to this outrage? Let's not play games with ourselves. Let's not divert attention away from the weak prayer life of our own churches. In Acts 4, when the apostles were unjustly arrested, imprisoned, and threatened, they didn't call for a protest. They didn't reach for some political leverage. Instead, they headed to a prayer meeting. Soon the place was vibrating with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he finishes with this. The apostles had this instinct. When in trouble, pray. When intimidated, pray. When challenged, pray. When persecuted, pray. I don't remember if I shared this with you guys or not. If I did, you're going to hear it again. If I didn't, welcome to your first hearing. Lee Kircher who wrote a book that, I've, uh, um, that I'm reading right now. It's called For a New Generation, A Practical Guide for Revitalizing Your Church. And he said this, although this book is built around practical strategies that sparked specific actions, prayer was definitely one of the major factors in the turnaround of our church. This is a man who was called to a church that had once been large and out shrunk. He'd actually started this church years before, and they called him back to revitalize it. So that's what he's talking about here, the turnaround of his church. Tom Cheney, founder of the Renovate National Church Revitalization Conference, writes, people ask me all the time, what is the key ingredient to church revitalization? Most want a magic pill that will fix their dying church with little or no effort. (laughs) That's American, isn't it? Little or no effort. (laughs) But without a doubt, the single most important ingredient to renewal is the power that comes from intercessory prayer. Many great books on prayer are available, and while it will not be the focus of this book, this, again, this author is speaking about what he's writing, if you do everything suggested in this book and fail to pray, your church will not succeed in reaching the next generation. All lasting change and revitalization begins as we acknowledge our dependence on God and ask Him to do what only He can do. Listen, folks, that's us. We're up against it. And we need to be asking God to do what only He can do. A.T. Pearson said, There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Wesley Duell. There is unusual power in united prayer. God has planned for His people to join together in prayer, not only for Christian fellowship, spiritual nurture and growth, but also for accomplishing His divine purposes and reaching His chosen goals. And then again, here's another one I might have shared with you, but I think I shared this with the board. Tom Rayner, who wrote Autopsy of a Deceased Church, did fourteen church autopsies, churches that had died. He went in and said, What happened? Why'd they die? He found ten things common to every church that was no longer in existence. One of those factors was the church rarely prayed together and they died. One of 10. So I'm going to do a little Paul Harvey. Here's the rest of the story. Okay? Some of you are saying who's Paul Harvey? <laughs> Second these are these are stories from scripture. Of prayer meetings that worked. Second Chronicles chapter twenty, and I, these the story is found in verses one through twenty-six. But I'm going to read a portion of that, and then a little later we're going to do the rest of the story. Okay? After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Midianites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. That was one of the godly kings. That Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. That sounds like a good idea. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Here's the prayer, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. That's who I want on my side. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Folks, that's something we need to do when we pray. Remember what God has already done in our lives. See, that's what he's remembering. Hey, God, remember you did this? Hey, I think you could do this too. They have lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether it's a sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. There's faith there. You will do what you promised to do. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came out from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. <laughs> have you ever said that to God? But our eyes are upon you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. This has been quite a prayer meeting. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walk from the city, and when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all came together, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 1-4. Now let me preface this a little. Um, Peter and John have just been uh, preaching in the temple courts. All right. On their release, oh by the way, they've been held by the uh, the chief priests and scribes and all the important leaders of the Jews. All right, and have been threatened. Don't do this anymore. We don't want you preaching the name of Jesus. Don't don't do that. Okay. On their release. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, you're pretty powerful. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They thought they were doing this. They thought this was their own idea. They thought they were fulfilling their own agenda. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So do you think they never showed their face in the temple again to preach the name of Jesus? No. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Then Peter came to himself, this now we 're skipping down, remember we 're going to do the rest of the story later. He was in prison. Then Peter came to himself and said, "Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people are anticipating." Let me just kind of give you what he's out of jail now. Okay? When this had dawned on him that he's I'm out of jail, he went he went to the house of Mary the mother of John, who also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying together. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. I think this is one of the hilarious passages of Scripture in the Bible. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door. And told everybody, Peter's at the door. You're out of their mind, they told her. In other words, we're praying that Peter will get out of prison. That can't be him at the door. It's got to be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking when they opened the door and saw him. They were astonished. God actually answered our prayer. So let me tell you some four things I see in common in these passages that I just shared with you about People coming together to pray. Number one is they gathered together to pray. In case you haven't heard me say that already. Sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? If you're going to pray corporately, you have to gather together to do it. The problem is that we apparently have a problem with this problem. It seems that gathering together has become a difficult thing in our culture. Actually, that's only partially true. More accurately, it would have to be said that we have trouble gathering together for the things of God sometimes. We're just too busy. There are so many other things, so many other options. Let's face it. God often gets trumped by other things that by our, our actions we indicate are more important than Him. I mean, we have so many other things to do. So many of the things to gather together for. Which leads me to this thought. No wonder God allows pain in our lives. It may be the only way He has of getting our attention sometimes. And I guess when we're in enough pain as a church, we gather together. The second thing I see in these examples is they were in agreement when they prayed. Matthew 18:19 Again I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for it will be done for you by my Father in heaven for where two or three come together in my name there I am with them And the word for agree here is synphoneo does that sound familiar synphoneo It means to be harmonious or to be in one accord we get our word, symphony, symphony from "symphonia." So when a symphony is, you know, we're, everybody plays a different part, but it all comes together to make this harmonious, beautiful sound. Here's the most important thing. That, listen, we're people, we're human beings. We're not going to agree on every fine detail of everything we do in the church. It's just a fact of life. Here are the things we have to agree on. We need, we need to agree that we need God's help. And all the people said, Amen. Okay? Here's the problem. We need God's help to fix it. The second thing we need to agree on is that God has the solutions. We agree that He knows what is best and has the answers to what we need. And when you think of being in agreement in terms of being harmonious, agreement has, a greater implica- has greater implications than merely being of one mind with others that we are praying with in regards to our need for God's help. It also means that we need to be harmonious in our relationships with God and harmonious in our relationships with each other, which goes back to the last two sermons I preached on unity. So I won't go over that ground again. But we need to be in agreement. They came together in agreement in these situations. Number three, they believed God would answer. the to- The story is told of a small Oklahoma town that had two churches and one distillery. Members of both churches complained that the distillery was giving the community a bad image. And to make matters worse, the owner of this distillery was an outspoken atheist. He didn't believe in God one bit. The church people had tried unsuccessfully for years to shut down the distillery. So finally, they decided to hold a joint Saturday night prayer meeting. People from different congregations came together and prayed. Can you believe that? They were going to ask God to intervene and settle the matter. So the church folks gathered one Saturday night, and there was a horrible thunderstorm raging outside, and to the delight of the church members, lightning hit that old brewery and it burned to the ground. The next morning, or, yeah, the next morning, the sermons at both churches were on the power of prayer. But the insurance adjusters promptly notified the distillery owner that they were not going to pay for the damages because the fire was an act of God and that was an exclusion in the policy. The distillery owner was furious and he sued both churches claiming that they had conspired with God to destroy his business. But the churches denied that they had anything to do with the cause of the fire. The presiding judge opened the trial with these words. I find one thing in this cause or case most perplexing. We have a situation here where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer. (laughs) And the defendants, all faithful church members, are denying that very same power. Couldn't you just see that happening? (laughs) Folks, we can gather to pray. We can agree in prayer. But if we don't believe God will answer our prayers, then we are wasting our time and God's. We're just going through some sort of exercise. It is prayers of faith that God responds to. Matthew 21, 18 through 22, early in the morning... As he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. This is speaking of Jesus. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And then James, chapter 1, verses 6-8, to kind of reflects this thinking when he says this. But when he asks, when, this, when, when someone prays, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all he does. Folks, we have to pray with faith. Now, please, don't go and say, God, it would be kind of interesting if you would just throw Long's Peak into the Pacific Ocean. That would be kind of cool to see. God probably won't do that because I lived on the coast. And I know about tidal waves. Bob does too. He lived over there on the Oregon coast for all himself. They're not good for people on the coast. And God probably, just so you can see a mountain fall in the sea, will not do that because he's concerned about the people who live on the coast. Okay? What he is saying here that incredible things can happen through prayer. The fourth thing I see in these, in these uh, stories is this. They let God be God. We're often amazed at what God does. We should never be surprised that He does something. I think sometimes we are. Kind of like the people that were praying for Peter to get out of prison. What? Peter's at the door. That can't be. We're often amazed at what God does, but we should never be surprised. And now the rest of the story. I want to look for a moment at how God answered prayers in the scriptures we read today. Because I think in three out of four examples from the scriptures that we use, God answered their prayers in very unexpected ways. From Second Chronicles chapter 20. And this begins at verse 20. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat said, stood and said, Listen to me. Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in His prophets and you will succeed. There's that faith word. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, kind of interesting, that the choir leads the army. So they went out, to the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. By the way, it doesn't say they said anything else. So this was a song that had a phrase that was repeated many times. Just said, I throw that out. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Who'd have thunk it? It says it took. It says it took the people of Judah three days to collect the plunder. That the fear, of, and that the fear of God came upon the kingdoms of the countries around surrounding them when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel because they did not have to lift a finger. The hard work came in just collecting all the junk that was left behind so they could take it home. Acts chapter 2, remember those people praying together in the upper room and it gave a list of people? It says, after the Holy Spirit came, those great crowds that had come to Jerusalem for the Passover Heard the gospel in their own language because they came from all over the known world. Heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language, and three thousand were added to the church in. Whoa, that's amazing. And then we're going to fill in that story about Peter showing up at the gate when nobody expected him to, even though they were praying that he would show up at the gate. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Boy, there's no way you're getting out of this place, Peter. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist, lunk. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him right out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards. How do you do that? And came to the iron gate leading to the city. The gate in the wall outside the prison. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And Peter realized, this is real. (laughs) So now you've heard the rest of the story. Folks, great things happen when the church gathers together to pray in agreement and in faith, and they determined to let God be God. What would you like to see happen in your family, in your church, in your community? Are you willing to gather and pray with others? You know, I'll be the first to admit I'm not the smartest guy in the world and i tried to put something together a while back and it just hasn't worked kind of a multiple time multiple places to pray so that didn't work that's okay we don't we you know, sometimes we think oh then we failed oh my goodness well we know what doesn't work sometimes you have to try things and when they don't work you know hey probably shouldn't try to do that again let's try something else and so i would ask you to be praying about What God wants us to do as a body of Christ to come together to pray. Because, folks, I think we've got to do it. We've got to do it. I think we're all aware. I can't see you. Um, I think we're all aware that we really don't have a future as a church if we don't start looking younger. It's about reaching these millennials that we're going to hear about on February 25th. And we need to know, how do we do that? Because it's a challenging situation. You know, we read The the, uh, Rise of the Nuns, and we've discussed that in a Sunday school class and on the church board. And, and I I mean, the people that read that book are kind of reeling. It's like, wow. How do we reach these people? God knows how. (laughs) There's no mystery to him. And He wants to show us, and He wants to tell us, and He wants us to give us a strategy, and a plan, and goals for how we can reach out and impact a community that we need. We need families with children and teens, and it's not just about children and teens, it's about their mommies and daddies, and their brothers and sisters. And we need God's help to know how we can effectively reach out to and minister To that segment of our population. And we'll find out when we seek God together. Together. To gather together. Amen? Let's pray. God, you know what to do. You know what to do. We're at a loss. I'm at a loss. I mean, you've, I, think, I believe that you've spoken into our hearts. I think at our recent board planning meeting, Father, you generated some things in our hearts and minds that we can begin to put into place. But, Lord, I think it's just a first step. And I think if we're going to have a strategy to effectively reach the world and the community you've placed us in, we have to be seeking you together as a church body. We've got to do that. That's our first strategy is to know how to come together as a people and seek the face of God and your leadership and for the help we need for that which we know we cannot do in our own strength and power and wisdom. So Father, just as you were generating ideas and creativity in the hearts and minds of the board members who met together a couple Saturdays to go, Ago, I pray that you would generate ideas and creativity in the hearts and minds of our people gathered here today about ways we can come together as the body of Christ, as the Longmont Church of Nazarene, to pray and seek the face and wisdom and help and guidance of God to be the church we need to be to effectively impact our community and families with teens and children for Jesus Christ, so that we do have a future, 10, 20. 40, 50, 60 years from now in Longmont. Because I think if we took a survey of our church, we would all say yes. We, After we're gone, we want the Longmont Church of the Nazarene to still be here, to still be serving Jesus, to still still be seeing lives transformed us, still be effectively reaching out to and meeting the needs of people in our community. We want that. But it starts with us now. And Father, we need to know how to start. And we know that the start of the start is to start praying together. Show us how to do that, we pray. Because I believe you want to show us how to do that. You want to show us how to do that. And I believe, Father, certainly there's an end to that prayer, praying that we're looking for. Plans and strategy and effective ministry. But I believe as we come together to pray that the journey of getting to that end is just as important as the end that will be reached. And there's a, The unity and fellowship and agreement and faith that's built is important for us. So we want an end. We want a result. We want answers. But God, we also know how critical it is for us and what you want to do in our hearts and lives to come together. The journey of getting there and how you work in us as you lead us on that journey. Thank you for this time together today. Thank you for the way you've spoken to our hearts. Thank you for the way you acted through the prayers of people who came together to pray in the Scripture. And Lord God, I pray that it, 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 it'll be like yeast planted in our minds and hearts today that will infect the whole loaf. And, Just grow up and say, yeah, this is what we need to do. God help us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.